Welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, the producer, co-host of the AMCP podcast series powered by Pop Health Week. Joining me in the virtual studio is lead co-host Fred Goldstein, president of Accountable Health, LLC. On today's show, our guest is Atul Devdar, MD, professor of medicine and medical director of rheumatology clinics in the Division of Arthritis and Rheumatic Diseases at Oregon Health and Science University. Dr. Devdar is board certified in internal medicine and rheumatology and is a fellow of the American College of Rheumatology and the American College of Physicians. And with that introduction, Fred, over to you. Thanks so much, Greg. And Dr. Dev Bedar, welcome back to the AMCP podcast series powered by Pop Health Week. It's great to get you back on the show for an encore appearance for the second discussion of the conference. Why don't you provide just a brief background before we get into some of the additional topics? Yeah, thank you, Fred. Uh, thank you for having me again. My name is Atul Devdar. I'm a professor of medicine and medical director of the rheumatology clinics at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. And my research interests are in the field of psoriatic arthritis and also in axial spondyloarthritis, which is a uh, which, which has got ankylosing spondylitis and non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis. I have a special uh, clinic for patients with psoriatic arthritis, combined clinic where uh, a dermatologist and I uh, saw see patients uh, together. It's a unfortunately it has become a little bit of virtual. We don't see the patient same at the same time uh, because of this COVID pandemic. But it's a clinic that provides a multidisciplinary care to the patient with psoriatic arthritis. But that's my background, and I'm happy to expand on that later. Fantastic. So let's begin with with discussing a topic that's of a lot of interest in population health. And I was very excited to see that it was covered at the ACR Convergence 21 conference. And that's of health equity and looking into disparities in treatment and approaches, et cetera. And I know that the one of the uh, presentations was was on racial and ethnic disparities in treatment for rheumatic diseases at a large medical center by Rebecca Arroyo. I hope I pronounced her name correctly. Um, Why don't we discuss that to begin with? Yeah, so um, this is absolutely a very, very important topic. And we are, uh, I mean, it's about time that we are waking up to this problem. Uh, There is a racial heterogeneity in the U.S. population um, in different parts of the country. And it is imperative for us to study the racial differences in several things. First is, how does the disease even present in different different populations? Is the clinical presentation very similar or the clinical presentation different? So the clinical characteristics could be different depending on the race. And just to give one example on this is that uh, in African-Americans, uh, lupus nephritis, they're not talking about that, but just lupus nephritis is extraordinarily, is worse, much worse in African-American compared to uh, lupus nephritis in Caucasians, and the drugs may not work in the similar fashion. So medication use, so availability of the medication and what types of insurance uh, these people have and uh, the social deprivation or the area where they are living, uh, I mean, all, all of this uh, plays into this, um, and the, what kind of formulary their insurance company allows uh, them to use, which drugs they want to, they are allowed to use. And then the comorbidities are also very different in different racial population. So from all these point of view, uh, the racial disparity uh, in treatment, the comorbidity in patients with uh, entire rheumatic disease spectrum is very important. At this ACR 2021 meeting, uh, there were several presentations. The one that you are mentioning was an interesting presentation from a large urban center. 
and they were looking at the uh, treatments that were uh, given to patients with African American versus Caucasian for rheumatoid arthritis and systemic lupus. And um, the good news, uh, I mean, I was very happy that reading that and uh, attending that abstract was that uh, patients with uh, African American um, uh, racial background, uh, the most common uh, insurance that they had was Medicaid, uh, which we know has got some restrictions on what drugs we can use. However, what they found out was when they were looking at novel and targeted therapy for rheumatoid arthritis and systemic lupus, there was no difference, no difference between Caucasians and African Americans. So I thought this is very good, at least that particular urban healthcare center, uh, they are providing equal care, type of care, uh, irrespective of the patient's um, ethnic background. Now, one thing that they did not measure is what percentage of patients do not have any insurance. Uh, this is this is the difference between population uh, study as well as uh, as opposed to diagnostic study. They they can only study the people who come to their urban center, right? So they have some insurance, and in those patients coming to their urban center hospital, uh, there is no difference in the treatment between Caucasians and African Americans, which in itself is a very good thing. But then if you go in the population and then you find out what percentage of patients, African Americans, do not even have an insurance and haven't gone to the hospital, and what percentage of people, Caucasian patients, do not have insurance and have not gone. My educated guess is that there is much more disparity there, and African American uh, patients may not even have the luxury of going to the hospital and receiving the care. Uh, but that was one abstract. The second abstract. Uh, was from Cleveland, and this was racial disparities in the comorbidities in patients with psoriatic arthritis, uh, which is my research interest. And uh, there they looked at a retrospective study. And here, in fact, even though the study was from Cleveland, they looked at uh, kind of the entire nation. They used this very interesting IBM platform, uh, which is a research informatics tool, which kind of goes to server behind the firewall of 20 major integrated healthcare system in the US. A very interesting way of looking at the entire country. And there is that firewall. So you're not breaking the patient's identity, but then there are several things you can find out using this IBM Explorist platform. And they were looking at the comorbidities um, uh, in patients with diagnosis of psoriatic arthritis. As I was mentioning earlier, psoriatic arthritis patients have what significant other comorbidities metabolic syndrome, diabetes, hypertension, uh, hyperlipidemia, ischemic heart disease, stroke, et cetera, et cetera, is much higher in psoriatic arthritis patient compared to general population. Um, so uh, these uh, authors of this abstract looking at the comorbidities wanted to look at these comorbidities, including even osteoporosis, fibromyalgia, depression, et cetera. And they looked at a large number of patients uh, using this platform something like north of 26,000 patients. And they uh, found out some interesting things that uh, for, when it came to Caucasians, hypertension, diabetes, and obesity, and gout, uh, that was more prevalent in African-Americans compared to Caucasian. However, malignancy, osteoporosis, and anxiety was more prevalent in Caucasians. Now, again, these are patients with psoriatic arthritis, and it, is, it was kind of curious to see how 
two different uh, racial groups have different comorbidities. I'm not surprised with the hypertension, diabetes, and obesity being more common in African Americans because that actually, even if you take general public uh, who do not have psoriatic arthritis, African Americans probably have higher obesity, gout, diabetes, uh, hypertension, and uh, that comorbidity compared to Caucasians. But in psoriatic arthritis, that same thing is reflected. Uh, it was I was interested in finding out for some reason malignancy, osteoporosis, and anxiety was higher in Caucasians. And these are a good research study is one which in fact raises more questions, not answers your question. And this is a one such study that this kind of then raises interesting hypothesis. And this makes us think, well, why? Why is it? that certain comorbidities are higher in one race compared to the other. And from that point of view, I thought this was a very interesting abstract um, from Cleveland, though, of course, they looked at the entire country. But uh, Fred, to your original point, the healthcare inequalities, not equalities, it's a major um, point. And uh, in some areas, we are making progress as the first abstract that I discussed. In some areas, a lot of work needs to be done uh, going forward. And, you know, from a physician perspective, uh, which ones of these various comorbidities are are potentially more community-based versus coming from the disease itself? For example, I would imagine that individuals who have psoriatic arthritis and are living with that pain might have more anxiety or stress because of the disease itself versus uh, coming in with other comorbidities associated with other issues. And you're right. And so um, we have noticed this uh, connection between metabolic syndrome. Metabolic syndrome contains obesity, diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia. And uh, that is the, uh, those are the risk factors for developing congestive well, coronary artery disease and cerebrovascular disease. So heart disease, heart attack or stroke. For some reason, this is extra, this is much more common in psoriatic arthritis patient compared to age and sex matched general population. We have found the same thing in rheumatoid arthritis, same thing in ankylosing spondylitis, same thing in lupus. And so we believe part of this at least is related to the inflammation. However, that doesn't really explain everything. Uh, and we need more research into why is it that metabolic syndrome is more common in this inflammatory arthritis uh, compared to general population. And to answer to your question, Fred, this uh, this is where the combined management comes into play. At our clinic at OHSU, we try to provide this uh, combined uh, management to the patient with uh, uh, psoriatic arthritis. Of course, dermatologists and rheumatologists are the basic people who are going to provide the care for their skin and their musculoskeletal system. But then we cannot forget that they have this uh, important aspect of depression and anxiety uh, related to their disease itself. Nobody wants to go into public when they have got uh, this kind of skin rash on their face and on their arms and etc. and they want to cover themselves and sit at home. Um, so depression and anxiety is an important aspect of the disease. And then we also have to involve our colleagues from cardiovascular medicine, from endocrinology for diabetes, um, some, to help our patients to lose weight. I mean, there are so much advances in that field as well. Uh, and we do involve our colleagues from psychiatry, our colleagues from endocrinology, our colleagues from cardiovascular medicine uh, in the treatment of our patients with psoriatic arthritis because these other comorbidities 
uh, that these patients have. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to the AMCP podcast series powered by Pop Health Week. We're discussing key highlights from the American College of Rheumatology Conference, the impact of psoriatic arthritis nationally, and implications for both payers and PBMs with Dr. Atul Devdar, Professor of Medicine and Medical Director of Rheumatology Clinics in the Division of Arthritis and Rheumatic Diseases at Oregon Health and Science University. And, and, you know, speaking of your clinics, et cetera, we've, we've seen a number of different ways to integrate various practices and specialties together. And you're seeing primary care bringing mental health practitioners either into their practice or available via telehealth to their patients. Are you sort of integrating more of these, these various specialties into the practice itself and, and working as a team on the patients? Or is it still more of a referral model in and out? Yeah, it is. Uh, we started um, as a more sort of uh, model, which was uh, we actually had a specific uh, mental health professional attached to our clinic over the years. Uh, unfortunately, with changes uh, in the healthcare system, um, it has become more sort of, unfortunately, it has become fragmented. We have to refer the patient. And it also depends on the uh, the insurance that the patient has and what is allowed and what is not allowed. Uh, but this is a very important population health problem that um, the mental health of this patient is extraordinarily important. Currently, we are referring our patients to psychiatry or to, uh, to psychology to help them with their depression and et cetera. Um, we, at present, uh, have moved to that particular model. And, and I assume you're on an integrated medical record platform or something that links these various groups up? Yes, yes. And so, absolutely. So being at the university, that is the advantage that we have integrated the platform. And what I write my uh, colleague uh, from cardiology or uh, mental health or dermatology can read and what they write, I can read. And then that's the beauty. Uh, That certainly is definitely helping us for a combined uh, approach to the management um, uh, of this patient. And I think uh, I, I do want to, since we are talking about the comorbidities, at some stage, I do want to tell you about an important comorbidity uh, which is which was discussed at the American College of Rheumatology meeting, and that is fatigue, which also in some ways is related in this whole equation of anxiety, depression. Fatigue is part of uh, that anxiety, depression uh, thing, but it's also part of their inflammation. And this is one of the complaints that the patients have that we actually had neglected for very many years. Um, and, and, and there was a lot of uh, information about that in this, meeting, but I will, I'll wait uh, if, if you want to ask me more about the other things, but otherwise we can discuss this. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it would be fantastic to get into that area. I know you talked about the diseases, you know, some of these areas striking younger people are in the, and they're in the workforce, et cetera. And I would assume that fatigue, which you mentioned is one of the comorbidities, would have a lot of impacts across a number of areas for that individual. Yeah. Psoriatic arthritis patients, if you ask them, what is ailing you the most? What are your two top complaints? They say pain and fatigue. Apart, from, I mean, they said this is for the rheumatologists. Of course, they have got skin as their major complaint with their skin looking bad and inflamed and hurting and itchy. And oh, I don't want to go into public with my skin rash. Uh, but it does is one of the top three things in psoriatic arthritis. So pain, skin, and fatigue, I should say. And that fatigue is clearly multifactorial. And we mentioned. Depression and anxiety makes you fatigued. If you're depressed and anxious, that itself causes fatigue. But the other thing 
we have been thinking is inflammation, of course, has a role to play in fatigue. Um, and, and there could be other things that we don't even understand why they have fatigue. Uh, it could be because they're not sleeping well, because they're itching, because of their skin. And so in general, fatigue has been kind of shunned from the research for all these years. We are now looking at fatigue uh, in much more scientific manner. Um, and, and, I, and this is a very positive development as far as I'm concerned from the patient care point of view uh, uh, and also from the science point of view. So at this uh, uh, annual meeting, uh, American College of Rheumatology annual meeting, uh, we presented uh, our work. Uh, we looked at fatigue in one of the clinical trials, uh, actually two clinical trials that we did on a drug uh, called guselcumab, which is a pure IL-23 inhibitor. And we analyzed the fatigue uh, using an instrument called the Functional Assessment of Chronic Illness Therapy. It's called facet fatigue. Uh, the instrument uh, is kind of well uh, validated in measurement of its scale. It's a patient-reported outcome, uh, but it measures the level of fatigue, the effect of the fatigue on your productivity, et cetera, et cetera. And the, we wanted to find out that which are the factors which define fatigue? What are the causes of fatigue? So we did this uh, fancy principal component analysis. It's a statistical way of looking at what components at baseline tell you about this facet fatigue, which is the way you are measuring it. And we found four important components. One was disease activity related, as we expected. Disease activity is, uh, it, it explains about 28% of the patient's fatigue. Joint related, which is joint pain, joint swelling, of course, and you can intuitively think that, yes, my joints are hurting, my joints are swollen, my joints are painful, uh, enthesitis, uh, et cetera, et cetera. That explained about 15% of the fatigue. Skin, also a very, very important aspect of the, uh, the disease, that explains about 10% of the fatigue. Inflammation-related fatigue, and this is, we measured their anemia, we measured their C-reactive protein sedimentation rate. Inflammation explains the fatigue. But the ex interesting part was 38% of their fatigue is still unexplained. Doing our principal component analysis of everything that we know to measure in our patient of psoriatic arthritis, we can only explain 62, 63% of their fatigue. 38%, which is the biggest aspect of their fatigue, is still a mystery. We have got no biomarker for this. We don't know what is the cause of the fatigue. Is it some kind of neurotransmitters? Is it related to their depression? Is it related to which, which we did not measure in these studies? And I have a feeling this 38% is going back to our earlier discussion. Anxiety, depression, uh, lack of sleep related to that is probably making this 38%. But I'm making the same point again. Good research is where more questions are raised and gives you a more direction to look at. This is one such research and that um, fatigue is extraordinarily important. Uh, I don't want to <laughs> stress it again, but it does affect patients' life in general, their productivity, their work productivity, their absenteeism, their presenteeism. All of this is uh, affected by the quality of life. Ultimately, the treatment uh, goal is to give patients good uh, overall quality of life and fatigue is a major, major important uh, aspect of that. And I'm happy that we are looking at it uh, more carefully now.
And uh, obviously, as you mentioned, these different uh, reasons or causes of the, the fatigue require different approaches, which is why you put together a team to, to work and help these individuals in terms of treatment, et cetera. Are there, are there um, studies that now show whether various products improve that fatigue level for individuals? Yeah, so this was one of the first studies which specifically looked at fatigue, the Gusulkumab study. Uh, there are some studies uh, from uh, in the rheumatoid arthritis arena, some of the jack inhibitors, upadacitinib, has shown that it improves the fatigue. Um, uh, so I, I'm 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 happy that we as a community are taking fatigue more seriously. Uh, generally, because rheumatologists uh, used to think that oh, fatigue, this is all psychological stuff. I don't know what to do with this, deal with this, etc. Go somewhere else. We are now taking active interest and in seeing whether our biologics and our novel synthetic uh, uh, therapies such as the JAK inhibitors, uh, are they helping the patients? One of the three most important uh, problems that the patient uh, wants you to take care of, uh, and, and this is a very positive development. Uh, that actually brings me to another important aspect which I wanted to discuss very quickly, is individualizing the therapy. And uh, this is... Uh, also goes into the safety aspect of that and uh, of, of a drug. A patient that comes to you, one has to individualize therapy. We, that would be actually personalized medicine. I mean, that's where the field is going. We are not yet there that we cannot really say that in this particular patient, this particular drug is going to be important based on these biomarkers, based on their genetic background, uh, based on their uh, imaging, et cetera, et cetera. However, this actually is a good segue in this individualized treatment. Not everybody has fatigue as their major issue. They have got other issues. They have got pain issue. They have got inflammatory bowel disease along with their psoriatic arthritis. And we have to take into account, oh, well, what treatment should I be giving this particular patient because IL-17 inhibitors I cannot use in patients with inflammatory bowel disease or they may have uveitis. Here again, I'm talking about the patient as a whole. It's not just their joint aches and pains which is what, as rheumatologists, we are interested in. But they might have uveitis, which is a feature of their psoriatic arthritis. Inflammatory bowel disease, which is a feature. For them, fatigue might be, for some patients, that might be the most important thing. So individualizing uh, the treatment is also taking into account what is the biggest problem for this patient. And I ask this question when I see the patient. If there is one thing that I can do today, which is going to help you the most, what would it be? Is it your eye? Is it your gut? Is it your fatigue? Is it your pain? Is it your knee joint? I mean, is it your Achilles tendon? What can I do for you, which is going to be making the most impact? And we need to take that approach and help the patient and involve our colleagues of other specialties who might be, who will be better than you in taking care of that issue. And that's the individualized treatment that we need to be uh, applying to our patients. Sounds also like you're using a very collaborative approach with your patients. They're part of your approach. Yes. yes. So as you look to the future, what do you see out there or things that might excite you or things that other payers or uh, health plans should consider or be looking at now? There are several newer drugs which are coming, uh, which are on the horizon. So just to give you some examples, uh, there was a there is a drug which blocks IL-17A and IL-17F called Dimekizumab. This is we only have drugs currently which block IL-17A, which is Sekikizumab and Exikizumab. Now whether Dimekizumab is going to be a 
an advance over uh, IL-17A and IL-17F inhibition. We have to wait and see. Um, there is a drug that uh, blocks TIK2. So just like JAK inhibitors, we now have TIK inhibitors, TYK, tyrosine kinase inhibitor. TIK2 inhibitor is a pill, and that's in the arena of these JAK inhibitors as oral pills. Uh, that's an advance because uh, patients, many patients, this is again individualized therapy, like oral therapy over injectable therapy. And again, uh, linking to our earlier discussion about fatigue and depression and anxiety, these newer drugs will be put to test as to are they helping the patient as a whole? Do they help the patient's uh, extra articular manifestation, extra musculoskeletal manifestation? Uh, what is ailing the patient the most? How are they controlling the inflammation, anemia, etc.? These are just two examples, but there are several other uh, drugs uh, which are in uh, development. IL-23 inhibitors uh, is a newer class of drug that we already have. One drug approved for the treatment of psoriasis, actually two drugs now, uh, since the ACR uh, convergence, uh, gusilcumab and risankizumab. But there is one more drug that is uh, probably uh, could get approval. For axial spondyloarthritis, uh, there are drugs which are coming into the market which are blocking GMCSF, another um, cytokine, and that has been shown to be effective in controlling the pain in patients with uh, rheumatoid arthritis. So we are looking at that in axial SPA uh, as well. So lots of interesting drugs looking at the uh, on, on the horizon. And then one more thing which I want to quickly mention is this personalized medicine. Patient sitting in front of me, I need to know what would be the drug that is most important for that patient. Again, looking at what important uh, domain of the disease uh, the patient has biggest problems with. So personalized medicine, the uh, the more we learn about the how the genes, uh, genetics, and environmental factors are shaping this person's disease, gut microbiome. We that's a different talk altogether and different discussion. A lot of interesting part about gut microbiome uh, out there. Well, that's a fantastic way to end this show and probably see about bringing you back on in the future to discuss some of these other issues you raise. So, Dr. Devdar, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. And back to you, Greg. And thank you, Fred. That is the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank Dr. Atul Devdar, Professor of Medicine and Medical Director of Rheumatology Clinics in the Division of Arthritis and Rheumatic Diseases at Oregon Health and Science University for his time and insights. For more information from the American College of Rheumatologists Convergence 2021 Conference, go to www.acr21.amcpmeetings.org. For the AMCP podcast series powered by Pop Health Week, my co-host Fred Goldstein and Dr. Atil Devdar, this is Greg Masters, encouraging you to follow, like, and subscribe to the series via www.amcp.org forward slash podcast or the podcast platform of your choice. Pop Health Week streams live on healthcarenowradio.com at 5.30 a.m., 1.30 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and 2.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Bye now.